West End musical theatre veteran and professional singer Tracy Cashy is a warm, friendly and versatile vocalist and musician with an Iranian-Israeli background. Based in North London, she has worked as an actress and singer and appeared many times at the Royal Festival Hall. She made her West End debut in Rent at the Prince of Wales and has worked with stars such as Petula Clark, Adina Menzel and Bobby McFerrin. She can be found singing jazz at Ronnie Scott's or Kurt Vile at the Royal Festival Hall and is the featured voice in the musical score for ITV's May Gray with Rowan Atkinson. Her new show, My Cancer Gap Year, is an uplifting musical about her very recent experience with breast cancer, from shock diagnosis to tentative recovery and combines comedy, song and candid advice. I'm thrilled to welcome on board IQ Boxing as the very first sponsor of Your London Legacy podcast. Run by the inspirational head coach, Xavier Miller, IQ Boxing Club in Neasden, Northwest London, is one big close-knit family where the boxers and coaches have excellent working relationships and every boxer supports each other on their individual journey. Every young boxer is given individual time so that they can flourish as a boxer, but more importantly, as a person of character. Regular classes are held for juniors and amateurs, and there are also keep-fit boxer-sized classes. IQ Boxing is built on the pillars of respect, hard work and dedication, and with its supportive trustees, grows from strength to strength. You can find out more about the London Legacy IQ Boxing are creating by following them on Instagram at IQXavierMiller or www.iqboxing.co.uk. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. You're laughing already. We're laughing already. We haven't I even started. That's my work is done here. Your work is done. We're nice and relaxed, obviously, which is good. And I, like, I love a smiling guest <laughs> on the show. Well, it's a pleasure to have on the show, on the podcast today, the wonderful Tracy Cashy. Oh, I think I've pronounced you. that correctly. Yes, you have. Most of my guests, I get their name wrong horribly first time. <laughs> but I think your, yours is um, quite an easy one to pronounce. Cashy. Cashy. Mm. That's, that's very easy. K-A-S-H-I. Tracy Cashy. Mm. We are in her lovely home in uh, North Finchley. Are we Finchley? We're Finchley Central. Finchley Central. Sorry. Sorry. No offence. We're N3. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, was with another guest recently, Heidi Herkers. I don't know whether I you know her. I know. I did. I, saw, I heard that one. That yes, was beautiful. She's around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Another lovely lady with another mm. fascinating story. Mm. Not mm. dissimilar to yours in some respects, but another wonderful lady. So, Tracy, to introduce you is not straightforward because you're a lady of many. <laughs> Many interests, many passions, many skills. You've done many, many things from being a lawyer mm. in your early days. For which, about four minutes. For about four minutes. Well, yeah. no, four mm. minutes. You still had to, no doubt, train to become a lawyer. <laughs> that took a bit longer. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm an ex-lawyer as well. Well, I didn't Are actually you? qualify. That's another story for another, uh, for another podcast. Much to my father's chagrin. chagrin. Yes. Oh, French accents. We've no, got to well. come up to French accents as well. <laughs> no, I, I had to, my poor parents, I had to finish. I had to finish what I started before I left to join the circus. The circus being the music circus, I'm well, guessing, yeah, and theatre uh, and art. Yeah, musical theatre. Musical theatre. Yeah. So you're better known currently for your singing voice. Yes. yes. For doing um, musical soundtracks to a couple mm -hmm. of well-known television shows. Yes. One being... Maigret. 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 Mr. Bean Does Murders. Yes, that's Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. So you, you were the voice on the uh, the soundtrack of that, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And another show, Halcyon. The Halcyon. The Halcyon. Yeah. I, I never got to see the Halcyon. That was, that was, yeah, that was a very musical project that had a lot of amazing musical guests like um, Beverly Knight, Jamie Cullum, 
And and that was just incredible to be part of that. Mm. But now, unfortunately, there was only one season of it. Yeah, I saw that yeah. got dropped fairly swiftly. Two thousand seventeen. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty a harsh shock for everyone involved. <laughs> unfortunately, this. Yeah, not good with a cast like that as well. I would have thought they must be fairly disappointed yeah. to get dropped so soon. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was disappointing. Okay, but you were the you sung the the theme. Is that the theme tune? The theme? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the main theme. The main theme for that. Yeah, which was beautiful and we'll come thank on to that you. as well thank you you've been a session singer or maybe you still are a session singer yeah i am actually you yeah are. yeah yeah my late my last gig was um doing like gcse physics to like some cool raps uh-huh um so yeah i'm up for anything basically these days <laughs> okay. um, yeah <laughs> you do um training i think you provide training yeah i do put your performance arts performance coaching. arts coaching yeah. You perform with some top musicians mm. yourself. Just list some of the top musicians you've been... Oh, God. Just some wonderful people. Bobby McFerrin, Petula Clark, Adina Menzel, Josh Groban. Wow. Um, Spiritualized, um, John Cale, The Velvet Underground. Yeah, I've had, wow. had some a, a really range. cool times. Yeah. And the types of music that you perform as well is very wide and varied, isn't very it? Very wide. Yes, I've done modern opera um all the way through to being mistaken for being part of the london community gospel choir but okay. that to be fair we were wearing the white robes and like going for it but i, I kept my jewish heritage quite a secret <laughs> for the day <laughs> but it was awesome and you performed in theater in the west end yes in in the show rent i believe yeah and you performed at the royal festival hall where you've been a resident performer there yeah yeah so have i missed have i missed anything out no, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's all that's that was all about 10 years, 10 years of being a sort of jobbing actress and singer, jobbing about, bobbing about. Uh-huh. Yeah. And to cap all of that, you're a wife, you're a mother of two young oh, children. Boy, am I. Boy, am I. <laughs> that's the fullest. You've got a fascinating heritage in terms of the background of your parents, which will, I think, might start with that maybe we'll and then we yeah. can dig into the rest of it mm. and then we'll probably come on to where we're at now which is i don't i never like the word cancer survivor I no no one does I, well some people will identify yeah as survivors of this and survivors of that and yeah i have had in my other life clients who said i'm a cancer survivor yes and they're very proud of it and that's how they identify yeah i'm like, not one of those people but it's not because you know, I, I, you know, people react and and inhabit the space they're in in mm. any way they can. But for me, it's like for me, survivors always associated with a Holocaust. So I, I can't bring myself. You know, I feel like I have been through an experience with mm. a disease, and I'm I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm looking good. And thank you very much. No, you look very well. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll we'll probably well we will conclude maybe or well at some stage in the chat we'll we'll talk about your what you call your cancer gap year. I call it my cancer, your gap, cancer year. gap year. And yeah. you built a it's not a one one person show, but you built a stand up musical show around that, haven't you? Yeah, well I, I mean from the beginning I knew something creative was gonna have to happen because everything felt so bizarre, so surreal. My way of absorbing the shock of it was to was to feel like something something useful and creative has to happen through this madness, and then uh, just coincidentally, I was offered a concert night at the JW Three Space, which is a wonderful space in Swiss Cottage, mm. which um, someone just wanted to hire me as a singer and, and for me to do a concert, and I said I'd love to, but I've just had a cancer diagnosis. I don't really know quite what's going to happen this year, but let's keep in touch. 
And then eventually the idea for doing something that marries the two experiences together, the fact that I'm a singer and the fact that I'm going through a cancer diagnosis mm. and treatment. And then uh, I I got the wobbles and I didn't quite know what I was going to do about it. I thought maybe I should pull out or I don't know what. But then I spoke to um, Jacqueline Nichols, who runs the music program at JW3. And she said, well, why don't you try doing a 20 minute version of the show under some sort of uh, artistic mentoring um, and that happened with an incredible woman called Sarah Segal, also at JW3. So she helped guide me towards a 20-minute version of the show, which I recently performed um, also at the JW3, but in a smaller venue. And in between that, I, I, I suppose everything that I've done was to get to the show, which is going to be on the 31st of October, mm -hmm. wanting to raise money for charity, wanting to do you know something useful. So the 20-minute show happened, and then I thought, oh, how am I going to get to the 20-minute 20 minute show. I know I'll do five minutes of stand up comedy. So that's what I did. I did some, obviously, I'm an actress, uh, um, but I, I've never done stand up before. So I did some workshops and I kept trying things out. That's and, a crazy thought to have then. Well, it is, I'm I suppose. I'm suddenly going to do stand up. I'm, well, I, honestly, I don't know quite how or what happened, but it was a bit of inspiration that I just thought this stuff's really hard to talk about. And what, you know, what do we humans do when stuff's mm. hard to talk about? Very often we, we, we turn to humor mm. to diffuse and to deflect uh, and to communicate. So I, I just kept trying it out and getting it wrong and trying it out. And my poor friends, anyone who came to the house, I was going, what do, what do you think about this line? And da, 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 da. And eventually I, I, over the, since January, I've just been getting that flow going till I've got like, you know, a pretty tight eight. You know, they say you've got to, you've got to, you're gonna get a, a, you start off with a five and then you work towards a tight 10. Right. I, well, right now I've got a slightly flabby eight, <laughs> but you know, I'm doing it regularly and I'm trying to refine it all the time. And that's, that's just one of the joys of my life. Uh, well, as I say, we'll dig into that a bit more later on. Sure. But my good friend and former guest on the show, uh, Michelle Assias, was that one of your trial sessions? The 20 at the, minute the 20 minute version. gig at the, at the JW3. And she turned around to me afterward and said it was so wonderful and so moving and such a beautiful show that she said, you've got to get Tracy on the uh, on the podcast. So I, I was really flattered. So because it must have been must have been good yeah. to, to impress. It, it was an incredible night because you, you, you never know with sensitive material, number one, what, how it's going to reach. And you certainly never know with comedy how it's mm. going to land. But, you know, it's it became like a, a living thing that we that we found it together. We found that balance between, you know, being, you know, not being offensive to anyone who's, you know, currently suffering with a cancer diagnosis or anyone who's lost someone, mm. but also being, you know, authentic about my journey, which was frankly completely ridiculous at times and um, had me and my husband, you know, cracking up in, you know, is this for real from, from day one? From day one, we, we we turned to each other with laughter, and that was that was you know one of the most healing forces. But I think having read your blogs on your website going back to early two thousand seventeen, your your as we said before, your self deprecating sort of sense of humour shines through. So you've always it's quite clear to me you've got that sort of funny bone in your body that sort of was yearning to get out. I maybe think it's a survival. I think it's a survival skill, and I think I think you know as humans we all have it. But I, I mean, I never would have dreamed that I would be doing this, that's for sure. But I think looking back now, it was possibly always on the cards because um, even though I never put my focus or energy into it, 
yeah, I love making people laugh. And it's it's such an honest form of feedback, mm. actually, because for so many years I I was, you know, I floundered in a lot of self-doubt as to how I was doing as a performer or a singer because I just don't know. And, you know, I was unfortunately I'm the kind of person that would just sort of fill in the gaps and saying, oh, God, I'm a bit rubbish or whatever. Whereas now I just, I know if something's working, I know if something's landed. So it, it's a great pleasure for me to have that. Well, it's, it's clearly part of who you are. So it's um, something I'm looking forward to coming to see you, hopefully, in October if I'm around. Well, I'm doing, I'm doing stand-up comedy gigs between now and then as ah, well. Ah, okay. So well, I'd well, love give, to give, plug give that it, later. Plug that later. <laughs> by, by all means, this is the place to plug it. Thank you. Let's go back a bit to um, sure. the, the earlier days, shall we say. As we say, you've got a fascinating combination of heritage from your father from Iran. Yeah. A town in Iran, northern Iran, I Mashad, think. Mashhad, born in 1930-something. They didn't really do birthdays back then, apparently. So they had to guess So you don't birth know his date. precise date of birth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. An Iranian Jew brought up in Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Do you remember the stories? Did he tell you stories about how it was in Iran in, back oh, in the day? Well, no, he was very well, small. He... But he did tell me stories about Israel before it was Israel, mm-hmm. about how flimsy the borders were and how... He was actually taken prisoner for a few months when he was a small boy. He would cycle around Israel. Now, this is where I'm going to get into trouble. I don't know. One of the, I think it was either Jordan or Syria or probably Syria. I don't know. And uh, he never really talked about that afterwards. But he, you know, he had a lot of uh, identity with the Jewish culture and uh, Sephardi culture and Israeli, Mm. Israeli culture. Mm. He identified strongly with that. So he then ended up in in Israel. He, yep. he moved to Israel, Jerusalem, I think he said. Yeah. And then on the other side, you got your mum, who was um, Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi, blonde and pale, Bl- blonde and pale, fries everything in chicken fat. <laughs> Why aren't you eating? She made good luck, cause. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From um, so her parents are German. Yeah, speaking and Yiddish. Yeah. 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 That's a, a heady mix, then, isn't it? Really. Yeah. I mean, it's London, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's London. Well, that's... Everywhere you go. Yeah. We, we had this conversation off mic, didn't we, about what is a Londoner, you know, yeah. because you don't have to be born and bred and said, you know, live within spitting distance of, of the Bow Bells and dress up as Burley King and Queen. Yeah. You were born and bred in London, weren't mm. you? Yeah. I, I, feel, I feel strongly identified with London. Yeah. When did your parents move over here? In the mid-60s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In the mid sixties, and yeah. I had my older sister. Right. Where Where did you live, and where have you lived? So we're yeah. I think you know always North London, North mm-hmm. London, Hendon, um, Hampstead suburb, and now Finchley. Yeah. Although my mum and my sister are now in um, Dorset and Bournemouth. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you've got an amazing cultural mix there. Yeah. And, uh, presumably, I mean, just looking around your home and the way you're dressed and everything is, you're clearly heavily influenced by your background. I don't know. I've never thought about But I think, I look, my my children, they're very pale compared to me. Um, very, the blue eyes. Where's your um, husband from? Well, he's, he's sort of Scottish, English, okay. French. He's a bit of a mix as well. But they... I, I definitely, they don't necessarily look like me. I, mm-hmm. But, you know, they'll come up with my Yiddish phrases and they'll come up with, you know, some of my mannerisms and the oi-oi-oi's and all of that stuff. So there's no escaping it, really. No, that's lovely. So you said before you got into music, oh, I don't know, when did you first get into music? Because your, your first career path was going down the lawyer route, which is vastly well, different. Music, music was always in my vascular yeah system you know my yeah my sister was a concert pianist so i i would listen to hours and hours of scales and chopin every day and then every friday you know my dad was a cousin so he was friday night was yom hashishi 
And that was, you know, I, I, I had, and they loved opera and fifties music ballads. So it was, the soundtrack was as nutty as, as, um, some of the music that I put into my stand up now. Uh-huh. I, I've now done like a 90 second cancer musical, which involves my experience, but through the medium of song. <laughs> and yeah, so it's a big, big, strange mix. So on earth did you go down the lawyer route then? I wanted to be useful. I, I never just, I just, I think I was just didn't move in the circles where I thought a career in the performing arts was like a sensible option. And I just want, I was a sensible young adult and I just wanted to be useful and helpful. I like to be helpful. So I think I thought that being a lawyer would make, you know, I'd just be really, really helpful and just sort out people's problems. Cause I like to- that's all, that's all lawyers well, do. Well, that's all they do. That's all they do. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, and then, you know, I realized probably wasn't for me, but I wanted to finish what I started. And I think- So, you, in, so what did you do? You did so a I did law qualify. degree and yeah, went to Yeah, I did school. the whole, the whole thing. The whole gespat, the whole the thing. The whole <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, but in meanwhile, I mean, I played instruments, I read music, I loved music. I did a bit of session singing for fun while I was at law school. I was in tribute bands, you know, playing divey pubs and loving it. Oh, come on. Which tribute bands were you in? So I was in this, I was in the, oh, so many Not shameful ones. No, there was one called um, The Ten Commitments, too last night. <laughs> which, was a, which took me years to realise it was a pun on The Ten Commandments, but uh-huh. it was The Ten Commitments and we did blues. Right blues uh, numbers and that was that was fun i was doing all my whole aretha franklin uh type stuff fantastic yeah so you in law parted company when i mean at what point did you around realize that? around on. the millennium right we parted company uh i got myself an agent and i mean it was poor my poor parents so you, was, you just quit you just said you well no i didn't just quit i i, I created a little exit plan i did i was doing loads of workshops and studying really hard and got got myself an agent and just and then broke it to my parents and it was still horrible for them how do you go about getting yourself an agent without like a track record in well i did i i um you do these showcases Uh and you do you know terrible fringe bits and bobs to try and get seen and to get experience yeah you try and flab up your cv Yeah, feature role in blah 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 blah. And you, yeah, I don't know. And then you go for millions of auditions, and he quickly get found out. Yes. Or, well, no. <laughs> CV's not quite. Not as... yet. Now, now, perhaps someone will look more carefully. Now that I've said that. So, what was your first big sort of breakthrough in in the music industry? Well, within six months, I did. I did get to uh, to do part of a national tour, which was Rent, and then that went to the West End. Then, typical me, um, had a, had a mild nervous breakdown because I actually couldn't really handle the realities of, of touring and showbiz and and the discipline of it. And I don't know, I, I my head my headspace was just so bad. Yeah. It was in such a bad place to actually deal with it properly. Why do you say typical you? I mean, well, I just I really I th- I think I jumped into it with a very romantic view of what it would be like, and I didn't realise how sensitive that I would I would be to constant auditioning, constant rejection. And I, I just didn't have that robustness and that res- resilience. Mm. I came from a world where pretty much everything was quite handed to me on a platter. Yeah, okay, you want to do law, do law. You want to, okay, I, you know, I worked hard to do it, but it was just, that, that was a, I don't know why. I think I assumed that it would all just fall into place and that once I had an agent and got to the West End, it would all be very easy. But I found it incredibly hard, mm. I have to say. I did. Not quite like X Factor, for example. Or I can't some of watch the... that show. I can't yeah. watch any audition process. It, I get PTSD. 
I can't. I literally yeah. can't. Another very good guest I can put you in touch with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hard. because I because you know I I experienced it for ten years, and there was a point which I I practically lost my voice mm. from from the fear of just being judged and rejected. I mean, I but I did get back. I got back on it, and that's where you know the Royal Festival Hall and there in an artistic residency program that that sort of got me back on the horse in a, in a much more humane environment. Mm. And that made me, and then I realized I just, I like to, I like to be part of that world and I like to be part of um, productions and stuff, but not necessarily the pressure of. So just talk us through what, what does um, an auditioning process look like in reality? Just walk us through. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, you get lost in London and this is before Google Maps and everything. And you're just so like... So how old are you now at this, this point? Oh, 20. 20 my early okay. 20s. And I'm like roaming around London. Where the H am I supposed to be? And then you find somewhere and then you, you're full of adrenaline and then you do something or you get sent something or you, you sing something or you read something or God forbid you dance something for me anyway. And then nothing or they're eating a sandwich. And this would typically be... In a studio, on a in yeah, a the, right, lots the of rehearsal stage, spaces or dance studios or different, you know. I mean, yeah, with the casting director or someone from yeah, the show. with a little panel, there'll yeah. be like you know three or four people, or sometimes like a whole firing squad. Sometimes they're filming you, sometimes they're not. Sometimes the pianist can play the music, sometimes they really can't. Right. It's all very, very full of uncertainty. So you go in, you you <laughs> sing your song, you do your tap dance routine or whatever oh, it is. Oh yeah, yeah, and. Is it and then you go home and have a nervous breakdown and, and eat eat your bone body weight in cars. <laughs> and then you get age, feedback from your agent. So you get nothing at the time. They like you, but you're a bit fat or or you're a bit you have, you brown or a bit this or a bit that. It's shocking. It's horrible. Do you actually get that sort of... Yeah. Yeah, you don't wear what you feedback. wore. They didn't like what you wore. Don't wear that again. It, it really can be very soul destroying. But it's an audition. It's not the final product. They want to see what raw talent you've got, presumably. Yeah, I think if you go in with the right, I mean, this is what I tell aspiring professionals when, I, when I'm when i coaching them, that you have to go in with a very specific mindset about, you know, what you want to achieve, what you're in control of, so that it can be, a, you know, a good experience for everyone and then you let go of the outcome. But for me, I was so emotionally immature about it. I just mm. felt personally rejected each time. You're bound to. Yeah. And this is before the pressures of social media and instagram thank and, god yeah yeah that would be even worse today wouldn't it well you'd see a lot of you know i was in some dodgy commercials for terrible supermarkets and things were like you really that. yeah are they still yeah. about can we no find, they're can really find not them on they're, they're genuinely disappeared from from the face of yeah, human right. civilization so i'm very lucky in that respect <laughs> we'll have to dig them out mm. so the trauma of going through that i mean that's clearly played a part in your psyche going forward, but you, you even write about that in your... In no, your, I do. Your, I, 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 I think it's important to be honest about the business so that people can understand, you know, so people you realise how, how difficult it can be. Mm. So when you say you can't watch these reality shows like X Factor, is that because you see them auditioning or because you think the, the actual, real, in real life, one person making it, you know is so unlikely through uh, the audition process. I don't, I, I mean, I can't, I can't judge it in, you know, in any dispassionate way because I just, I don't, I, mean, I did eventually make my peace with the audition process and I realised that if I just focus on the work and 
whatever piece I'm doing, I'm just making that. I've, I focused on the craftsmanship in the end and I became completely divorced from that whole, do you like me, do you not like me stuff, mm. which, which I found really un, unhealthy. And, that, and, then, and then I could cope with it. But unfortunately, it seems to me anyway, I, don't, I really genuinely can't watch these things. But it, it's so wrapped up in the whole, you know, this person is sort of branded and then they're either accepted or they're rejected or they're brought up and then put down. And that, for me, I find that excruciating because it's, I don't know, somehow it's just too dehumanizing somehow. Mm. I mean, you spoke about it in your blog one one instance when you said, I think, was it the producer or something? You were in Amsterdam? Mm. And, oh, uh, yeah. And one of the, the producers, was it the producer said... You've put some... a, we've put we've got all this wardrobe for you and you've uh -huh. put on some weight and now we're going to have a go at your agent because they should have told us your new measurements that's horrific isn't it that was really bad that yeah. was not a good day so what was that an audition or was that actually, no 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 that was a shoot it, it was actually a that shoot. was a shoot for I don't, some infomercial type thing yeah and did they not well they, clearly they don't appreciate sort of what that can do to a young young person or not necessarily young but any person i don't know it? i mean presumably models get this a lot where mm. it's just very much it's just the facts you know you are a body you either fit you tick the box or you don't tick the box you either fit into the wardrobe or you don't fit into the wardrobe and it is very much it is a very dehumanizing mm. thing and you either find a way to work with it if you want to work in the business or, or you leave as i did mm. so you must have thought what the hell am i doing here? i've given up law steady salary to come and pursue my dream yeah yeah, I did question myself. What's all this about? But you know, there is. I am. I am a performer. I am a creative, and and that's why it's it's wonderful to to go back to that, even at this um, stage in my life where I have young children, and that is my focus primarily. Mm. Did you have support from friends and family as you were going through this difficult time of trying to find a career, make a make a path for yourself or was it just you having to plod on and get through it i i plodded on and i i, I feel i felt like i wanted to leave with like a good taste in my mouth so mm. i i did such beautiful work at the royal festival hall that i felt like i i could i could leave with dignity mm. that i that i had that i had done something useful and beautiful mm. with with my time in 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 that in that um arena and then and then i i then my father died he was given six months to live, but he lasted three years under appalling conditions with brain cancer. Oh so that experience totally changed me and made me want to settle down with my boyfriend and, and have a family. And mm -hmm. that's what I did. And that sort of ate up the next 10 years of my life. So I did, um, I did four pregnancies in five years. Two of the middle pregnancies ended in midterm miscarriages. Oh. So that was like another sort of heavy, heavy decade yeah. to a certain extent. So it's kind of hilarious that, that, you know, when I think I'm out of the woods and my youngest is two years old, I think, well, I'm going to have a party now. And then, you know, I get a cancer diagnosis. That really is God having a laugh when, when we make our plans, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yes, if you put it that way. But you've, you've got a sense of humor that uh, will look at things in that light. Mm. A lot of people, many people I've met certainly wouldn't do so. Before we get on to that, just talk us through how you got involved with some of these big um, numbers you were doing for television. So that was a chance remark on a play date with the composer for, what did we do first? We did Maygrave first. Um, and he just, he wanted a demo. He wanted a singer who spoke French to do a demo. And, and we ended up working together, Samuel Sims, who was this amazing award-winning composer for film and TV. And, uh, and he... I don't know what came over me, but I just had the the chutzpah to just like right. I'm going to record myself singing French. I can I can speak French. I can sing French. I'm, I'm just going to do it. and I, I'm going to send it to him, uh, and I did, and he liked it, and we worked together, and it was. But so you knew him already, or you? He, had... So it, I, his wife 
Uh, I, I knew his wife and our kids played together and it was, you know, during some chit chat on a play date. Uh-huh. Um, I said, oh, if he ever needs a session singer, that's what I used to do. And uh, give me a call and okay, let's do it. Uh, I think he was just desperate for, you know, French speaking singers and, and, and he tried me out. And so that led to that. And then they ended up using it, which was incredible. Um, and then... He did this project with the Halcyon, which which was going to have this big, it was this quite, you know, full on soundtrack with uh, incredible artists. And the, the main theme was never supposed to go to a to an unknown singer. But it was another it was another situation where he, he really liked what, what I did with the demo and he wanted to keep it. And he managed somehow to persuade the producers to to leave me in there. So it was it was it was incredible honor. Mm. And that's the sound. That is the soundtrack. For that it. is that is. I mean, it was like in the top like soundtrack charts, and it was it was really exciting at the time. So, how did that? Well, for a start, how did that boost your confidence? But secondly, how did that also elevate you if it did at all in terms of success? Well, it was it was lovely. I got. I mean, I still get like fan mail emails from around the world of people who just hear that song and they say, "Oh, you know, can we?" listen to more of your stuff. I, yeah. oh, sorry, I'm an unknown singer without an agent or anyone. And I, I, you know, I, I do the odd recording and gig and you're welcome to listen to it. Um, here's some stuff, here's some demo stuff, but uh, you know, I'm in no way an established singer. So it was quite an anomaly, mm. but it was actually, do you know what that did? That period of my life, it was such a gift because back when I had my early success with the West End and everything, I had massive case of imposter syndrome. Mm. And I think that's why I couldn't handle the success mm. and if if I had any fan mail if someone wanted to take a picture with me I felt slightly allergic to it because I felt why I'm not good enough mm. which is you know ridiculous but it was that was how that was how I was thinking uh in those days but this opportunity now if I get if someone connects with the music or, or they want to know more about it or or they just want to say how much they enjoyed it or how moving they found it that is incredible and the fact that I can accept it with any amount of grace shows it's it's like a it's like a healing sort of closing of that circle for me yeah so it means i i know how to receive that uh, and that that's that's wonderful so many you're not alone in the imposter syndrome scenario i mean so many of us have that mm. and i i wonder why it is because we could, i don't know we're told you know from an early age you don't do that or don't do that you can't do this from an early age, maybe we're told we've got to go down a certain route in our life and maybe you thought you had to do law or you had to do this or that. I'm not really an actress. I'm not really a singer. I'm not really this. I've just, I struck yeah. lucky, maybe. Do you know what it is, Steve? I think it's, I think it's this disease of perfectionism mm. that is so paralyzing for all of us. And I think whatever our field, whatever we're doing, I think it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of, if it's not perfect or if it's not how I would exactly 100% wish it to be, it's not good enough. And then we just throw out the, it's like having a little hissy fit or something. Mm. And it's like, well, if I can, if I'm not, if it's not this, that and the other, if I don't feel amazing all the time, then it's just like everything's rubbish. Mm. And I think it's that all or nothing mentality, which, you know, how the perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm. And then now I just feel like some, some stand-ups, they don't listen to themselves 100%. They don't like... They don't like videoing themselves or they just record it. Whereas I pour over stuff, not looking for the flaws, but looking for the opportunities to get better. Because I know each time I'm going to get something wrong. I'm going to make a mistake. Something something isn't going to go 100%. And it's that my new attitude of it's it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be amazing. But let's keep working on it because that's, that's the joy of it. Mm. That's the thing that is making me a, a completely different kind of performer mm. these days. 
And does it get easier as you get older and more mature, this, this, as you say, imposter syndrome, this feeling you're not good enough, you're not worthy? I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, some young people can just do it. They've mm. just got the right mental setup to have the right attitude to just do what they need mm. to do and get on with their lives without beating themselves mm. up or feeling bad about it. But themselves. then you had so much rejection, as you say, through the audition process that probably played a part in your mind. Yeah, it was the perfect storm. Mm. But yeah. did, did the success you got from performing those two incredible parts really songs mm. did that not elevate you within the scene itself no so, no on the contrary really? i was yeah i was still scrabbling around for session agents did you I, think it was did you expect it to? i i yes my ego got a bit ahead of herself uh -huh. and and really thought oh maybe i'll get a you know i'll get more work you know because for me it's just like just about getting some kind of steady work mm. and and it, and it didn't happen and i was disappointed but you know in a way, I think, thank God, because maybe if I was busy, busy, busy on tour or whatever, I wouldn't have, you know, slowed down enough to to catch my cancer diagnosis incredibly early, mm. which was incredibly lucky. Mm. So now's probably a good a time to, to talk about mm. this phase of your life, as it mm. were. So just talk us through, I mean... Your, my lumpiversary. Your... your your lump anniversary. My lump anniversary. Your lump anniversary and your cancer gap year. Yeah. I mean, presumably you, you were otherwise in, in good health, in rude health up until. No, I was knackered, but you know, I mean, as knackered as any mum with, with young kids yeah. possibly should be. But I was really trying to work and do more teaching at the time, and I, I found that exhausting. And I, something didn't feel right, I have to say. I have to admit, something didn't feel right. Um, and I didn't know what it was. And then I like to say that the Northern Line saved my life. But it, How so? It's normally the bane of everybody else's. <laughs> no, I love it. I love the Northern Night because a, a really disgusting, grotty journey from Tottenham Court Road to Finchley Central forced me into a late night shower. And, you know, I don't normally get to luxuriate in the shower, but everyone was asleep. And I just had this, this shower and I, I was able to feel uh, the lump in my breast. That was very fast growing, aggressive, invasive, and by all rights should have, you know, spread to my limbs and become a secondary situation. But it didn't. And I'm not, the miracle of it was that, you know, because I was in my early 40s, I was not a checker. I had no idea that women in their 20s, 30s and 40s can get breast cancer. In fact, 10% of the women diagnosed each year are in that age bracket. Mm -hmm. So I, I just thought I was safe until I was in my 50s. So finding the lump was incredible. Getting it dealt with quickly was incredible. What was your immediate reaction when you... What, finding the lump? Yeah. I mean, you're in the shower, you're having a shower, and you suddenly find something which you think, hang on a second, that, that doesn't feel right. I mean, it was it was awful, actually, because it was this very quiet, deep, no, that's... Did, did you know immediately? That's not right. Did you yeah. think you knew immediately? Well... I, I think I did, but yeah. I, I was I was cautious. I didn't I didn't actually tell my husband until after I spoke to my GP. Um, I think it was a Saturday night, and then and then I saw my GP on Monday morning, hmm. and and then I told my husband, and then I was and then you, and then you know well you, then you're in the machine, you're in the machine, the the diagnostic machine. I, I don't know where to start. You're going to have to ask me questions now because no, it, no. because it wasn't that long ago, so it's still quite. I mean, this is it. You still haven't processed it, maybe. I, I still haven't. And that's yeah. probably why I love working on my, my stand-up, mm. which is about raising awareness yeah. uh, in a more palatable way, but also about the show, which is about processing it, yeah. because I still can't believe it. Well, I don't necessarily want to go through the minutiae of your, 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 your diagnosis. Great, so, that sounds, that's <laughs> fine by uh, me. And you unless, of course, you, you, you want no, to. No, no, not at all. But what was, I mean, 
what type of cancer was it? Let's let's go. So there. it was a. Um, it ended up being a hormone-fed cancer, which means I am. Uh, I we went down the route of surgery, double mastectomy, um, chemotherapy, six months of chemotherapy. So that was diagnosed pretty straight on what the prognosis was and what you what you'd have to. Have yeah, done. and with women my age who were younger, they tend to get they tend to just go for it they, because they your body can handle you know, the, 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 the most sort of toxic form of chemo and mm -hmm. they want to make sure you're still around in 10 years, yeah. which unfortunately with secondary cancer, you know, there's no, there's no guarantees. Mm -hmm. It really is. is but did they know or the degree fairly straight on early, early on that you, you had to have a double mastectomy? Well, you know, I mean the, the whole thing, it was, it was a process. I mean, it was all very surreal and bizarre and um, each day was very, very heavy and loaded, which is why, you know, me and my husband, we latched on to the ridiculous, you know, the insensitivities of bureaucracies and and on all of that. And we latched onto it and and we laughed about it because it was so that was so healing for us. It was mm. it was really important. Yeah. But the medical profession are pretty fantastic in this country, aren't they? Was this on the NHS? I mean, uh, you know, I my my nurses, I have such a love affair with my nurses. And I, I kind of my last song in the show was for them. And I've got. I had this slideshow of, my, of some of my some of the nurses that, that that I was fortunate enough to be taken care of by. And yeah, I mean, if, if it wasn't for them, I don't know if I'd have showed up for some of the chemo sessions because yeah. it, it was really tough. Yeah. Where did you receive your treatment? Which hospital? It was a a bit of a mixture. Mm. It was a bit of a mixture, but based in London, mm. North London. Mm. And so you're through your treatment, or well, you're no, still no, this well, an ongoing mine, process? Yeah, because mine was hormone fed. Uh, they put me on a permanent medical menopause. So I'm on 10 to 15 years of estrogen strippers and they've tried various different kinds with me, which I haven't reacted brilliantly to. Mm -hmm. But now I'm just on a bog standard tamoxifen estrogen stripper, which is, I can cope with, you know, it's not great. But so what does that do? Stripper sounds a bit... Well, um, just imagine sort of all the all your bone marrow being sucked and fizzled dry and you're sweating all the right. time and you don't, don't sleep. And my husband, actually, he says that I've turned into a bit of a teenage boy. So I like flash up and I flare up with my moods uh -huh. and then and then it all calms down. So, I mean, a lot of people who, who go into, into menopause, they have their own experience with it. But for me, it's, uh, I mean, I've had so many changes. I've had so many physical changes but also emotional changes. But um, it's it's a one day at a time job. And at, like I say, thank God for it, for a sense of humour, because otherwise it would be unbearable. Yeah. Are you muddling your way through on your own? Or are you doing, I don't know, reading and research and other people, how they've found their way oh, through well, it? I mean, this is the beauty of living in this day and age. You know, there's 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 a tribe for everyone out there. Mm. And, you, and it's quite, you know, when you're ready for it, you can find your tribe where, wherever you are. I mean, in the beginning, I didn't really want to look at anything humorous. I didn't want to look at anything that other people had done. I wanted to find my humor. I wanted positivity on my terms. When I felt that I could be positive, I didn't want anyone to tell me to be positive. Mm. I, I would have wanted to hit them in the face if they had. But but now I like I'm 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 catching up with incredible people who who are very busy turning their lemons into lemonade in mm. various forms and trying to help people who go after them, you know, by saying, you know, this is this is helpful, this is not helpful, this is how I got through it. Um and you know, people mm. people do first of all want to share their experience because it's cathartic and they also want to be helpful and useful. Mm which is wonderful. And do you find people treat you differently or talk to, talk to you differently? Friends or family, for example? That's a really good question. Um, probably, yes. I think cancer is, is such a difficult word. I think it, it can either shut people up or it can open people up. Or, oh yeah, me too. And 
but it's it's another one of those life shocks that I think it, you know it's on a par with um, and you know death in the family or or or, or, or some something happening where we each find our way through it mm. in our own way. Because the t statistics are crazy today, aren't they, for cancer? One, one in two one, of us are going to get one some in two. Form I have one in three, so one in two. You know, yeah. you need different stats. Some form of cancer in our lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Well, everybody knows, you know, somebody, if not them, who, who it's touched someone personally in their life. So one in two, I, I, I can believe, because mm. I think I think of just about <laughs> nearly most members of my family, the majority at some, mm. some time or another. Mm. So this gig, this show you, you've, you've created, tell us a bit about that. Oh, my cancer gap Your year. Your cancer gap year. I mean, that's just a fantastic, that's what you actually Do you like it? it? I'm oh, not, I mean, some people don't like the title. I, I mean, do. I just, I mean, I, I was trying to get away from the word journey. Yeah. journey how's, no, how's your cancer like... journey you know I, I i talk about how certain words can can you know either really you know work for some people or really really not and, and i i was quite open-minded about certain things but i wanted to communicate the fact that you know um cancer is you know incredibly treatable uh, the earlier you catch it um so for me it kind of was a gap year and now i'm picking up the pieces um so i wanted to suggest that you know there's a finite amount of time for dealing with it but of course it's it's kind of disingenuous as well because i'm changed forever now of course you are yeah yeah but it is it is a fusion of everything that i am so it's it's music it's humor and it's trying to be useful um so it's it's really trying to get women in uh, or anyone who knows women in their 20s 30s and 40s to check themselves once a month because the earlier you earlier you figure out this isn't normal for me um that's the key question what's normal for me um the quicker you can get on with it and and live your life mm. Because it's unfortunately for women, I think particularly in their thirties, when they're having their, you know, and they're in that sandwich where they're looking after young children and possibly aging parents, you know, we are not only are we not taking care of ourselves, but we look at our bodies with a huge amount of negative judgment. And for me, certainly, there was, you know, if even if someone said, "Oh, you know, women, uh, you need to check," I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't have wanted to look at myself long enough to figure out whether there is anything normal or abnormal going on. So that's why I think humor, it can be a real powerful tool to, to say, look, we're all in this together. None of us are perfect. None of us like our bodies, but let's do this because otherwise, you know, you could end up becoming a comedian and uh, talking about cancer. You know, I mean, it's like, hmm. in a way, it's been a fantastic gift for me, but I really, really want want to do something useful with it. And that's that's hopefully what the show is about, raising money, raising awareness and singing some beautiful music. So look, just walk us through the show. I mean, obviously I've, I've, there are clips of it you can find on uh, through your website and on, on YouTube. Well, there's, there's the 20 minute version. I think most of it was recorded on a Facebook live thing, which you can get on my Facebook page, uh -huh. which you can have a look at. Or there's, there's little five minutes, eight minutes of the stand up on 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 YouTube, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know how it goes down to the audience, but some of the humour about you know when you actually decided to say goodbye to your breasts, <laughs> you know, and you know they've been very they've been good friends, they've been very useful to you, you know. I think it was just very very funny. I mean, how did that? They go love down? it. They yeah. love it. And 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 the, and the thing about it is, is that you know I've had very mixed audiences, you know, where it's been perhaps my target audience or very much not. So it's been like young, very young people, a lot of men, a lot of, you know, people who, you know, can't necessarily speak English even, but there's something universal, I think, about breasts and our relationship with our bodies and illness and dealing with difficult subjects that, that people love. And I love, I love trying to 
you know, find the silliness and, and find the common humanity in it. And also at the same time, exercising my demons because every, every section of the show, every, every moment, you know, it's a hundred percent, you know, that was my reality. I was living through that. So it's all, you know, it's all true stuff that actually happened to me. Um, you know, about dealing with hair loss and wigs and, 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 um, you know, just people say, I mean, I haven't, I mean, it was, first of all, I sort of, I had to sort of make sure my cancer friends said, this is okay. And then I had to make sure my women friends that said, this is okay. You know, because with humor, you, I I really, I really never want to offend. I never want to demonize. I never want to isolate. And I never want to alienate anyone. Mm. So I, I was, it was a very careful refining process. But now I just feel like the sillier I, I get, the more, the more I love it. And so I can, you know, in an eight minute segment where I am, you know, being ridiculous the whole time, um, I can just slam in there, you know, and once a month, check your breasts and check what's normal for you. And people will take it. And, you know, maybe they'll be slightly more likely to actually do it. Mm. So it's like, you know, the sugar helps the medicine go down, I suppose. And doing the comedy bit, how, how have you found that? Because you are naturally a funny person. I <laughs> But you've never done stand-up before? No. In front, well, not in front of a, a paying audience, I, I no, suspect. No, it is fantastic. It is, it is I, you know, where has it been all my life? I mean, I, you know, I've always enjoyed it, but I, I think it was just, uh, it was just... Isn't that funny? Because having been, <sighs> suffered so much rejection through... Yeah. Through all the audition process, I mean, you don't get much more rejection or many more downs, I suppose, than yeah, a joke that goes wrong. Or, or... You know where you stand. If something doesn't work, fine there's there's a tumbleweed moment there's silence and i can i know where it went wrong and i can work on it and get it you know get it better for the next time mm. it's so honest it's so joyful so do you think it's something you're going to pursue beyond this 100 percent. yeah yeah 100 percent. for you personally to, to write yeah. and do stand up yourself or yeah for yeah well, i mean i did when i was a jobbing actor i did i did write for you know um like comic reviews like there was this thing called news review and, mm -hmm. and i did i i always i liked I think I was always like a, a closet writer, uh, and and I, and that, but I, I just, I don't know. I think I took myself too seriously, mm. and I think it led me down the wrong path. And and it, you know, strangely, it took something as serious as cancer to for me to see the, you know, how important levity well, you is. You say that, but in the pre-cancer blogs that you were doing, yeah, I, well, your, I was searching your, your, your for my humor. Humor was still coming through even then. I mean, if you read it. It's all about your confusion, your malaise, as you say, you know, having elderly parents and young children and struggling to find so your mojo. Maybe it was parenthood. Maybe it was parenthood that 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 levelled me off enough to make me realise. It was enough to drive you nuts. I can vouch for that. Well, it's just that you know, you're, you're, I'm never going to be that you know that image of myself that I wanted to be, which was like I don't know, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, we we all know, well, those of us who've got a, you know, a bit between the ears know if there's no such thing as perfection and striving mm. for it is complete, is complete nonsense. Mm. But it's it's great that you've now, now understand that you can release your humour, you know, and that you have got a sense of humour that yeah. is worthy of, of going public. But also, with. I also find a home for my voice mm. because my voice, you know, it was it's always been a bit, uh, I don't know, it, like, it's an instrument that can do a lot, but it never really found a home. And I think in comedy, it might have found a home. Mm. Well, it might, that's my hope, and that it can, that it can, it can be useful in that sense. Mm. Just suddenly, had my mind has had a flashback. I was trying to think of female comedy comedian singers. Yeah. We don't call them comedians anymore. We're not allowed to. It's politically incorrect. I don't know. Comedians. I, whatever. I, I, mean, I, I go with comedians. You can call me. You can call me a comedian. <laughs> do you remember Marty Kane? 
Yeah. She was a, a, a singer with a lovely voice. Comedian. She was on many years ago. I seem to recall she came on Opportunity Knocks on one yeah. of those early sort of shows. And she it, she came on. She took one of those bar stools in, in the middle. Mm. Of, I'm sort of laughing at the image of it now. You have to check it out online. So as she, she comes on, mm. st- sits on one of those bar stools. She starts singing this beautiful song. She had a lovely voice. Mm. And then suddenly the bar stool collapses. And then the whole thing descends into chaos and comedy. Oh, on purpose? Uh, on purpose. Oh, it, thank it, God for it, that. It, no, no, it was part of the... <laughs> it was one of these, you know, bar stools on like a, a long uh, pole. And then the whole thing just... I mean, that yeah. is heaven. For, I'll have yeah. to find that. You have to check her out. Heaven. She, as I recall, she... she well, you, you, you're well, thank God. But she, mm. she didn't come through her cancer story. Mm. And I think she died. I, it must have been in the 80s or 90s she, she passed. But Oh, the amount of singers and actors who, who die from secondary... Secondary breast yeah. cancer is, is really terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I think she was a heavy smoker, but... Nonetheless, I, I think where you're coming from now, mm. you can understand that you you are good at humour. You've mm. obviously got a beautiful voice. You musically talented. You've got the you know theatrical and the acting mm. side. Maybe you can beyond this go forward with like a a one woman show, a one person show, or a musical. You know, I mean, I would I would love that, with. but I I kind of can't see beyond this right now. I kind of I kind mm. of just want to make it till. Is this what you want to focus on? I want to focus yeah. on this Take, for now and then yeah. see what happens. But yeah, I, I think you know, for whatever time I have, for you know, who knows? Mm. Um, I definitely want to focus on. on Do you see on yourself that. taking this round sort of theatres and? I think it would probably be emotionally quite heavy to do for any length of time. Mm. However. I mean, it depends. I don't know. I, I love the idea of doing my stand-up regularly and taking that round because that's that's so useful for, you know, breaking down barriers about talking about cancer and mm. younger women um, that I would love to do that. And this show, I, I think it could have a life of its own, but I just, I kind of need to just finish writing it mm. and then we'll see. What, what was the process of you writing the show? How, how did that oh, come it never, about? It, from, from, I think the, when I had the... Um, between the discussion with my insurance company about the amount of my wig budget I, I, and how ridiculous that com- on the, can you imagine on diagnosis day that you're having this conversation with your, you they, they just your kept, insurance company they kept whittering on about how I've got a hundred pounds worth of wig budget can you and and you know here I am thinking you know facing my mortality and I'm thinking not only am I going to have to wear a wig but it's not going to be a very good wig so I kind of knew this, my experience was going to be ridiculous and surreal and bizarre. And then the next week I was talking to my surgeon about um, recon- the reconstruction possibilities. And, uh, and he was talking about using implants that require a mesh made from pig flesh. Oh, fantastic. Yes. That's good for a Jewish girl. Very good for a Jewish girl. So we had this surreal discussion about, you know, how kosher is this? And do I need to discuss it with my rabbi? And will he let me into the synagogue? That I just, I just kept writing notes and I wrote notes. I wrote, I, I kept my notes uh, thinking I'm going to do something with this. I don't know what, but I'm going to do something with this. And I kept them all and I kept adding to them and I, and I keep adding to them. And how have you blended that in with the music? Do you just do a musical interlude, interlude or does it? Well, I've tried to basically just tell my story in a sort of, in an honest way, but in a, you know, a hum- see, this is it for the show. I don't think I can sort of, the stand up can't be too stand up-y and the, and the, it, it has to be a weird sort of blend of storytelling that can be light at times, but then, you know, truthful as well, because, mm. you know, I have friends with secondary and, and it is, it's scary. We lose people from mm. this disease and it, it's, you know, it's not something that I just want to stand and laugh about for an hour. It's, you know, I, I will 
what I did was I used music to tell the story. So in the 20 minute show, I used a beautiful sort of soul number called Changes. And I sang that with some of the photos of me in my various uh, Who did that states originally? of, oh my God, I can't remember, but it was used in a soundtrack, but uh -huh. it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's one of those songs that's out there, but I just thought it was perfect. Um, so I sang that with my guitarist and, and then people got to see me with various lengths of hair and states of being. And, you know, there was one time when my face um, after chemo just totally puffed up with a allergic reaction and I was pretty unrecognizable. So I show all that, you know, it's not just about, you know, wearing fun wigs and putting on a brave no. face. It's also about, you know, how really incredibly tough it is. Yeah. But the, the humor lends itself to sort of be the, the release valve, doesn't it? Because you're building up all the tension and the unpleasantness of the cancer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something that, you know, which, which was so helpful to be able to try out in the 20 minute version, which was to see, how people reacted to that, okay, this is this is about cancer, this is serious, but you know what? Um, this is also quite funny as well, and it's a bit, you know, bizarre, and, and, and look at this, and isn't that mad, and this is what I experienced, and here's some music, and, 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 to, and to just keep going with that. And, and it, it seemed to work. I mean, it seemed to, people seemed to respond to it. Are they coming up to you after the show and, you know, thanking you for... Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a really beautiful mixture of, you know, people coming up to me and saying, oh, my God, me too. And younger people as well going, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And, you know, I'm going to check myself now. Mm. Thank you so much. And that for me is like, oh, perfect. That's really, really, that, that makes sense for me. Mm. That, that makes it worth doing. So let's just wrap up then and tell people how they can find you on social media on your website when your yes. next gig is coming up yes she's got a pre-prepared well, piece of paper here post chemo menopause <laughs> brain so i don't ah, trust myself to remember any day go for it so i am doing uh, the big one is 31st of october in the jw3 i would love to fill up the venue because it will be raising money for future dreams um the charity and um, in the meantime, I'm doing live at Limehouse and Jen Brister, amazing uh, comedian, is headlining there on the 26th of June, which is next week, I think, at the Star of the East Commercial Road. I'll be doing my set then. And uh, you'll hear my 90, min 90 second, not 90 minute, my God, 90 second cancer musical, um, which I must work seconds. on. And then the 3rd of July, I'll be doing... Big Nose Comedy in Soho, which is a Monday night, which is a really lovely night. And then the 25th of July, I'll be doing the Boogaloo, which is in Highgate, which would be great if you could come along uh, on the 25th of July, which is a Thursday. Yes. And then it's August and that's when everyone disappears. Uh, and where anyway. do people, can they book tickets for this? Where Where is the... Yeah. If you just keep, if you um, either just sign up on my website, I mean, don't worry, uh, you won't get millions Any of newsletters. TracyCashy.com or or tweet me or... Instagram you. Yeah. DM, all of those marvellous... All those lovely social media things. That yeah. Make you feel so no, I would like, I, 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 um, you know, I'm very happy to receive messages of... Yeah. of and the big show is in October. The big show is 31st of October. I don't think they're selling tickets yet, mm -hmm. but um, it's Halloween, so you can't forget that. Oh, right, okay. Well, I'm sure it'll go to treat. <laughs> hey. Hey, boom, boom. Well, we're at that stage of our conversation with today's guest, Tracy Cashy, where we ask 
one or two favourite places that you like in and around London that may be personal to you or a secret, and obviously won't be a secret once you've told everyone, <laughs> but, but somewhere in London or that, that you like? Mm. Well, obviously a big fan of the Northern Line. Yeah, uh, the Misery Line, yeah. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah. Saved my life. Don't knock it. So I love, I love secret gardens and I love, you know, like little, little sudden oases of of, of beauty yes. in the city um and one of my favorite ones is is the waterfall the japanese garden in regent's park have you been there i haven't oh my god i know it's embarrassing it's, no, 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 no. It's like that. london's like that you yeah. can't help it there's always something else which is amazing but it is beautiful you can just you can park on the outer circle or, or get there however or walk from wherever and it's just it's near the rose garden and it's just bizarre because my, my dad always used to take me to the rose garden and we'd walk around and everything but it's just a little bit set back mm. and you probably hear the noise first and then and then you you find it and it's just beautiful sounds lovely i know the rose garden been there several times but yeah some reason but there's i mean there, there there's another there's a peace garden in north london which is near the royal free hospital which is which is open um i think between 10 and 5 during the day which is incredible and that's very sort of holistic and beautiful uh, and it's on one of the side streets and of course i've forgotten which one but if you look up peace garden in uh, near the hampstead ponds you, you'll find it there and that's that's also really 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 i guess beautiful. i should know that as well because i just did a, an interview with the guy who produced the, on, pon go. We'll go the, the ponds. We'll go together. <laughs> and I did it at the ponds. The interview was done on the men's diving board at the ponds. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Cracking show. You'll have to listen to that one. I will. Um, so that's great. So two beautiful gardens, which is always nice to get out and spend some time in these quiet, peaceful spots in London. But, I mean, genuinely, I do love travelling on the tube because I feel like... I don't know. There's some kind of common humanity about we're all there, probably pretty miserable. But the, but there is something. I, I genuinely love the tube. Well, I genuinely you, you, love the you, underground. You're in a very small minority, I, know, I would imagine. I'm just weird. <laughs> I am just genuinely weird. But then I think you knew that. We did know that. No, no, no. Only joking. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Thank the podcast you. today. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much for sharing your story with us. My pleasure. I hope... Well, I don't hope. I know that your show is going to be a success. Thank you. And it'll go beyond just the show in October and you'll take it further from that. I hope that you're, you continue with your recovery. Thank you. I won't say journey because... Uh, no journey. You don't, it's not a journey. You just continue to be recovery. well. Recovery. Thank you. And be well and do everything that you enjoy from music and drama and comedy and everything else. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Every week here at Your London Legacy we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful London-based story. We hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you. If so, the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show. Simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support. <laughs>